Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect years. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. Coming up on this week's show, we'll look back at our successful trip to Alice Springs. We'll talk injuries, contracts and mid-season trades. Preview this week's clash with North Melbourne. We'll farewell one of the most iconic figures in Eagles Big Footy history. And of course, we will answer your questions throughout the show. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and I am joined this week by Mr. KK. How are you? Yeah, I'm good to be back after a bit of a hiatus. I can safely say I am no clearer to working out what is going on this season and predicting how it's all going to turn out. Well, it's not like that's our job on this show, so uh, don't worry about it. We'll we'll fire through and we'll we'll get on with it. Um, also joining us this week is Miguel Sanchez. Welcome back to the show, Miguel. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm doing much better than Scott Thompson, who uh, is missing this week uh, for North with a ruptured testicle. So yeah, yeah, comparing to that, anyone's doing pretty well, I think. I'll tell you what, look, I actually had this down for the very back end of the podcast, but before we fire into the review, let's just let's just quickly address this situation because it is, like you said, pretty grim. Dazzler 10 has asked us on the board if you would be keen to take the field one week removed from that incident and obviously the subsequent surgery. Uh, Miguel, is there any danger that, you know, if it were, let's say it was a grand final, could they orchestrate some sort of cricket box situation? Is there anything that would get you out on the field or are you, you taking a little time off after that? Maybe if it was a grand final. Otherwise, yeah, I think I'd um, I'd be taking as much time as I needed and, yeah, I'd be sort of, I don't know, cutting out bits of a tennis ball or something and packing them around. You'd want some protection down there. <laughs> KK, same question to you. Regular season game, would you play? Grand final game, would you play? No chance regular season. You'd take the risk for the grand final. Excellent. All right, there you go. That's our ball chat for the week locked up. Thanks, everybody, for coming along. Let's fire into some footy, hey? Okay, so West Coast Eagles, 14 goals, 7-91, defeated Melbourne, 11-12-78. The Eagles really got off to a flyer uh, in Alice Springs. They led by as much as 32 points midway through the second term. Uh, and then we found that customary West Coast Eagles switch-off where Melbourne really stormed back into the game. The lead was cut to a point at halftime. The Eagles trailed by six at three-quarter time. Uh, and then, as we've also seen this year, a fair bit actually, the fourth quarter, the Eagles really stepped things up. You know, the whips were cracking and the Eagles pulled through. They kicked four goals to one in the final term, claimed an important victory, albeit a victory that was at times uninspiring. KK, what were your general thoughts on the game? Yeah, typical of our season. Looked good in patches, very poor in other patches, but we, we got the job done when it counts and that's really been the theme throughout the season and in the back half as well, that everyone is struggling. I, I can't remember a more even season and we've got a lot of teams with flaws of one one kind or another near the top of the ladder and we've just got to keep grinding out the wins. So we'll talk a bit more in detail probably about the, the second quarter and, and the fade-outs there. Um, but it was really actually quite an enjoyable game to watch. I was, I was a bit frustrated at times, but at other times it was... Um, it was great to see some good performances from Vidal in particular. 
Uh, Watson was good on debut. Sheed was great in the last quarter. Allen was good early. And, yeah, I really like the Yellow Springs game as well. It's a beautiful ground and just enjoyable game to watch. And glad we got out of there with the four points. I think over the course of the game, we we probably deserved it. We maybe got a bit fortunate with some of Melbourne's errors from time to time in their goal kicking, but that's all part of footy. And I think when the composure and the, the guts was needed in the last term and Melbourne were a few soldiers short that we we grounded out and got the job done and our, our leaders stepped up, which is, is a good sign for this time of the year. Miguel, for a team that we beat remarkably soundly in the prelim last year, Melbourne obviously looking very different this year, but the two games that we've played against them this year have followed somewhat of a similar trend, especially as it pertains to that fourth quarter and the Eagles you know, going to an extra level and Melbourne perhaps not having that, that level yet. So what did you make of the game? And, and is this, this something where we're, we're grinding these games out? And as KK touched on, you know, everybody's slipping up here and there, but are you disheartened by the fact we're grinding these or we're having to grind these games out against poor teams or are you encouraged by the fact that we have the ability to grind out these close games as we need them? More the latter, I think. Um, yeah, it's encouraging because, you know, it, it'd be nice to blow teams like uh, Melbourne who are 17th on the ladder. It'd be nice to blow them away and help our percentage. But, um, you know, we're not really going to get the opportunity to blow people away in the finals. So, yeah, our record in the close games this year has been um, really good and you know, we've had a f- quite a few come from behind wins as well, including I think probably both the Melbourne games. The Adelaide one was pretty memorable uh, and really only Collingwood the week before was the only close game that we've lost and that was one element of the Melbourne of the, the Alice Springs game that I thought was most pleasing was you know the ability of Yo and Shuey and Darling and you know, senior guys like that to step up and you know, take the game by the scruff of the neck when it was there to be won. Um, that was something that was missing in the Collingwood game. It was sort of sitting around waiting for it to happen and it never did. But, yeah, just you know, the look in Yo's eyes in that last quarter, he you know, he really did not want to lose that one. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was impressive. That was probably the, the thing I took away from that game um, most of all. The first three quarters, even the first quarter when we kicked, I was at 5-1 to 1-5. I thought Melbourne sort of matched us around the ground and it was really just the goal kicking that um, that let them down. And the quarter time margin really flattered us. And then, yeah, in the from about halfway through that second quarter uh, and through the third quarter, they were all over us. And we were really lucky that it was as close as it was and uh, enabled us to have that big last quarter to get over the line. Yeah, big shout out to Melbourne being absolutely comical in front of the sticks. It's the second time they've gone to the Northern Territory and really struggled in front of goals. They've very famously lost to Adelaide there earlier in the year, despite having three or four or five attempts at kicking the winner. Now, KK, big news before the game, right before bounce down, as has become customary, the Eagles had a surprise late out. Shannon Hearn uh, was forced to sit out the game, but what it did allow was the debut of Frankie Watson and... Not only did it equal our record for most Indigenous players whilst we were in Alice Springs, which was another nice little part of the trip. It, it really, you know, built built a little bit of the community feel up there in the trip. But also it allowed, yeah, as I say, Frankie Watson to make his debut. And personally, I was very impressed with it. What did you make of his first effort in the blue and gold? Yeah, I thought he slotted in really nicely for a first game. It's, it's big shoes to fill. And the two times that we've had to replace Burn this season, we've had Robin come in for his third game and Watson in the debut, and they're just not going to be able to to cover the experience and leadership that Hearn provides down there, and I think that that showed parts of the game, but that's that's not on Watson, that's on the defensive unit 
as a whole. And I think there would have been a great, uh, great opportunity for the for the kid. I, I wonder if there was a cloud around Hearn leading up to it, and that's why Watson was one of their travelling emergencies. But, but he's he's earned his, his spot. It was obviously a nice nice thing for another Indigenous player to come in, and I think he's born in the NT as well. So it's a bit of a homecoming for him. And yeah, I thought he did his job. Did not look out of place at all. And I think uh, we'll, we'll talk about changes later, but I think he might be uh, worth persevering with for another week, even if Hearn is fit. Yeah, so 14 disposals at 86% efficiency. He had seven intercept possessions, which was tied for our most. Uh, Gaff and McGovern also had seven. Eight marks, two tackles. Miguel, I thought a really impressive game from him. He, he was aggressive. He looked to take the game on. There will be a few games that he gets caught if he continues to take the game on out of the back line like that. But I think that's sort of, you know, you take the, the bad with the good with a guy like this. And overall, as I said, I was really pleased with his game. What did you make of it? Yeah, so um, pretty similar to what KK said, I think. And yeah, he will take the game on. And he's a bit like, um, almost like a younger Jetter in that regard, where, you know, he'll he'll do some stuff that is absolutely mind-blowing. And then, you know, occasionally he'll flub one and it'll go straight to the opposition and it'll get turned over for a goal. And um, I think Jetter had one of those from memory yeah, uh, in the way. game. So, terrible, yeah, so, um, but yeah, it was great. Yeah, as KK said, we'll get to changes, but. I'd be really hoping he gets another week. He, yeah, he's he's waited a long time for his debut, uh, and yeah, he didn't look out of place at all. Now, another interesting option out of the defence, we've seen Jackson Nelson in the side for some weeks now. Uh, an impressive stretch of waffle form earned him a recall, and he's really, I think, quietly and solidly just gone about his business. KK, we saw Clayton Oliver really be one of the more influential Melbourne players on the day. Uh, he extracts the ball out of the pack quite well. Um, now, personally, I don't, I'm not as high on him as a lot of other people are, but you can't deny he's you know, got an almost Prittus-like level of getting his first hands on the footy. Uh, so basically, Oliver was humming along and really making Melbourne tick. He had 31 touches to three-quarter time. And after the break in that fourth term, Simo's moved Nelson from the back line onto a tagging role. Oliver's only touched the footy three times after that, according to the AFL website and uh, pretty much unsighted in the fourth term. So what do we make of Nelson as a potential tagging option going forward? I think he seems pretty naturally suited to it. He's always had that bit of uh, mongrel and, and niggle about him that, that all taggers, taggers need. He's probably not great uh, with foot skills, so to be a high-possession player, he's, and even in defence, he's more of being a shutdown defender than an attacking threat. We can probably say big up yours to people who say that Simpson can't make changes on game day because there's a clear change. Oliver was killing us. If he had, if he kept up that trend of getting 10 touches in the last quarter, I dare say Melbourne probably win that game. So great move on Simo's part. Great for Nelson. He's been in for a few weeks. So he's got a bit of confidence and he's just taken on the role he's been given and, and done it to a plum and was probably one of our, our key contributors when it mattered at the end. Miguel, we've got Hutchie set to come in hopefully very shortly. If we do bring Hutchings back in into a tagging role, do you think Nelson keeps his spot as a back pocket or do you think maybe this is something where we might have seen a bit of a changing of the guard in that tagging midfield spot? No, I think it's a nice little string for Nelson to have um, in his quiver, but that's I've stuffed that up, haven't I? You have an arrow in your quiver. Anyway. Um, Not Jackson Nelson, mate. He's got strings. Yeah, uh, He's got strings everywhere. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's a nice little um, string to his bow, but... I think first and foremost, his role in the team is in that back six. And yeah, um, 
my thinking of on the changes for this week, jumping ahead and getting to those, is that um, it was sort of between him and Cole as to who would go out to make way for her. And if Watson gets another game, and I think the fact that Nelson can be counted on to to do a role like that, and you know, he might need to go to a Cunnington or someone this week, um, that should keep him in the side over Cole. But I think um, we we don't run. Lately, we haven't been running with a tag in the midfield too much. Hutchings, before he got injured, was tagging halfbacks. And just having a tagger in there full-time seems to throw out the midfield mix a bit because, you know, it pushes Redden out or it pushes Sheet out or something. So it's good to have Nelson and the Nelsons and the Hutchings in the side so that if someone is getting off the leash, they can switch into that role. But I think his primary role should still be a, a back pocket. So I've said this over the course of the last few pods that, we're at the point of the season where I think we know who the Eagles are and we obviously know what the goal is and where they're aiming this year. So on a game-by-game basis, uh, I, I struggle to really get down in the mud and, and figure out every little detail and you know extract and read too much into every little moment from the, each game. Now, that's not to say there aren't talking points out of the game. There are, and we'll get to a few of them pretty shortly. But uh, are you guys more or less happy to close the book on the, on the Melbourne game in an X's and O's point of view? And, and perhaps we'll circle back to a couple of the talking points out of the game uh, a little later on in the pod. But any final thoughts from the weekend's game specifically? Yeah, I think it was really pleasing the way we approached the whole Alice Springs trip. It's our, it's our first trip out there. I'm sure there must have been some logistical difficulties behind the scenes, not least when someone suggested it'd be a good idea to take Aussie along for the trip. Um, but the, the public face, you would not have known that. They really just embraced it as a real positive experience, an opportunity to get out to a community that we, we haven't been to before, community that has a lot of Eagle supporters out there, and everything about the whole weekend up there, the players just seemed to really enjoy it for what it was. I think Simpson's sort of quite big about embracing the opportunities that, that football gives. And I, I sort of compare it to when Gold Coast went to China for the first time. doesn't help that Rodney Eagle was the coach, but they, they just bitched and moaned the whole trip about everything. looked like they didn't want to be there and got thumped on the field. And I think having the right mindset... Um, might have been that little 1% that just made the difference in the end. And I think the club deserves a lot of credit for how they approached the whole weekend. Miguel, regular podcast contributor Keys made a good point on the board this week. He had an interesting concept about potentially buying a, a game in Alice Springs or at least trying to make a consistent trip to, to the Alice every couple of years or every season if possible. Is that something you think the club should explore? And how, you know, how would you feel about that opportunity? Yeah, well, we're 100%. Um, at that ground at the moment. So, yeah, the, um, the more games we can get there, the better. I think, um, yeah, I don't know, the AFL doesn't like us sort of trying to get extra advantages, but if we can um, at least put our hand up to be the, you know, the away team to meet Melbourne there every year because Melbourne, I don't know how long their, their contract runs, but they've been playing um, you know, they've been playing a game a year there for a few years now. And, yeah, we obviously... the the players, especially the Indigenous boys, enjoyed it and the crowd really got around us. And, uh, yeah, as Simo said, it's sort of it's half the length of a trip to the East Coast. So, yeah, it's, I think it's certainly worth putting our hand up to be you know, the, the team that plays there um, once a year because it's you know, we play 10 games out of Perth every year and if you can make one of them half the distance away and at a ground that, that you're quite comfortable on in, in an environment that they'll now be comfortable um, in, then, uh, yeah, definitely worth it. 
as I said, there are a few talking points that you know emerged yet again in the Melbourne game, but I think at this point they're really a trend. Uh, they weren't unique to, to that Melbourne game. It's something we've been talking about, we've been seeing all season. The big one I wanted to talk about was these momentum swings where you see the Eagles get a big lead or perhaps the game's fairly close, and then the opposition get on a big roll. They'll concede fair few goals in a row consecutively. We've seen Adelaide, Hawthorne, now Melbourne really get a hold of us. Brisbane did in the first round as well. Um, so basically I thought while we're talking about these momentum swings and these fade outs that the Eagles are having, I thought I'd get stuck into some numbers and, and really try and figure out how much worse these momentum swings are this year compared to years gone by. Firstly, big shout out to Microsoft Excel, by the way. If you ever want to win an argument on Bigfooty, just go on to Microsoft Excel. Um, so guys, this year teams are averaging 11.5 goals per game. League leader is GWS. They average 13.5. Eagles are fourth with 12.6 goals per game. So basically, when I was framing this, I came up with the idea that if you concede four goals in a row, you know that's, that's almost a third of your opposition's score and you've just conceded it without response. So I thought that was a good mark to set if, you know, we'll call that a, a run. You know, that's a bad run to concede is your four goals in a row. Basically, having a look at the amount of times the Eagles have conceded four goals in a row this season uh, and compared to last season, it threw up some interesting numbers that actually really surprised me compared to what the narrative is around the club at the minute. So, so last year we had 16 games where we conceded at least four goals in a row. Now, our worst streak was a streak of eight against Essendon in a terrible game that we obviously lost. Uh, so basically, that was 16 of our 24 games. It's about 64% where we conceded a significant run. Now, this year, it's actually only happened in nine of our 18 games. So it's down to 50%. That surprised me, first of all, because I feel like this year we've really seen some runs. But what we have seen is a little slight increase in the number of games where we've actually conceded five or more goals. So the runs aren't happening as often, but when they are, they're happening you know, they're slightly worse when they do take place. Basically, the surprising thing in this was that last year we were 10-6 and six in the games where we gave up a run, 62.5%. This year we're only 5-4, and four, so it's down to about 55%. Basically, we're you know, not giving these runs up as often, but perhaps we're not as poised to absorb them, whether that's a scoring issue or whether that's you know, failing to respond to them. Maybe it's the length of time that the runs are taking without us firing a shot. There's obviously more factors in here, more context needs to be given than just the raw numbers can say. But KK, I maybe came into this expecting that this year would have been much worse from a momentum swing point of view. It's felt like that. The criticism has been a lot louder for that this year, I feel. So, so where do you sit on this issue? Is that something where you've thought it's worse this year? Or you know, is, is this something that we need to be genuinely concerned about as we shape for finals now? Yeah, it's funny stats because it certainly felt worse. Maybe it's because we've had a few games where those momentum swings and that streak of goals conceded have ended up being effectively the final margin. So it feels like we've really been beaten up a few times. Uh, I think I think all clubs seem to be going through it, and we're probably not not immune to that. Just thinking, out of our nine games, we've conceded that run of goals. I'm guessing two of them will be the two that Hearn missed, so that's a factor. There's been a few cases where and it happened again on the weekend, McGovern's been a bit exposed by having to play on a smaller opponent. So that's probably something that we need to look at. But in terms of momentum swings, the main thing, it's really generated from the midfield, and it's certainly to the uh, naked eye seems to be of a, a drop-off in effort, and I think that was the case again on the weekend. I'm slightly concerned about that for the remaining games in the regular season. Um, I think when it comes to finals, I really have felt for a while that we've been priming ourselves for the finals and 
trying to manage our effort so we don't burn all our tickets now. And occasionally we, we probably undersell that a bit long, a bit much. We don't we drop the effort too much and we get, get burnt and then struggle to get it back. But if we can just get through the next five games in reasonable shape, then I don't think the momentum swings are that big an issue in the um in the finals. I think particularly if we get Nat Nui back as well, just having that that presence in the centre of the ground couldn't possibly stop a run of goals because we're not going to get get beaten straight out in the middle repeatedly with him in there. It's interesting you mention that it feels like more teams are having, or you know, every team is suffering momentum swings. Miguel, this is anecdotal. I have no stats to back this up, but I feel that the Eagles are pretty solid out of breaks. I feel that you know they get a bit of a respite when we get to a half time or a three quarter time because we're seeing Simpson able to pull some levers and, and make those changes. I think it feels to me certainly that these runs are happening more in the quarters. Do you think that's down to maybe the rule changes, down to the lack of a runner out there? Is you know something we're a pretty experienced side. Is this something that you think is sort of just systematic with the new look AFL, or is it something that our veterans need to be taking a hold of a little bit better? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, it seems to be a league wide uh, phenomenon at the moment. And um, others, I've heard Schofield comment on on his various podcasts a few times that. Um, it seems to be a thing across the league that uh, league that you get these huge momentum shifts, and yeah, certainly the you know, the inability to get a runner out there must be hurting the coach's um, ability to um, you know, pull levers and and change things you know, during quarters. And yeah, it must be easier to to sit down and do it at half time. But yeah, as an older team, I think we need to get better at at stopping it. You know, the Hearns and all the senior players need to sort of work out amongst themselves how to, to stop it during quarters when you know they're not able to get that sort of input from the coaching staff. So, yeah, hopefully they're using you know, the, the 22 rounds before the finals to learn how to better do that. And, yeah, I was interested in the, the stats you provided. I'd be really interested to know how long it took to come up with them. But, yeah, it certainly seems to have been um, a factor across this season for all clubs, not just us. But, yeah, obviously... Uh, it's pretty memorable when it happens to us and you know, we've seen it happen a few times and obviously happened in the, the Melbourne game. But yeah, hopefully they're they're learning before finals how to sort of arrest the Tim shifts quicker rather than having to wait for a break. We don't need to dive into how long it took me to make them. Uh we don't we don't you never need to think about that when you see me post stats on Big Footy. Let's just let's just pretend I've got them on hand. Now it was actually to tell you what, it was actually fairly easy. Another another shout out on the podcast, big shout out to AFL Tables. It's a great resource, and uh, they chart that sort of stuff pretty well. Anyway, so yes, look, the momentum swings are something that we need to be aware of and keep tabs of, but as you guys have both rightly pointed out, I think people do lose sight of what's happening outside of Eagles games. I know I certainly, that's one of my main points, I guess, when people are upset about how things are playing out, is that, look, most of these things are affecting other sides similarly, uh, and no good side is just crushing the league and going on these big, long, undefeated streaks. People were saying season over last week and now we're a percentage off second place and Collingwood dropped a game and, you know, season throws up funny results. So let's just uh, let's stay tough and, and we'll keep, uh, keep surging on through to finals. A little bit of news this week before we dive into the game preview for the Round 19 clash with North Melbourne. First bit of news that happened pretty shortly after we finished recording last week, so it's actually been out there for a little while, but Jared Cameron has signed a two-year extension. 
he will be with the club until at least the end of 2022. Uh, he played four games when he signed. He's obviously now played five. He's still only just 19. He's kicked 10 goals in his five games. Bit of a tackling machine for a kid of his size and age. So, KK, how pleasing is that to see Jared Cameron remain an eagle? Yeah, it's great news. I think he's made a wonderful start to his career. And I just see a huge upside to him. Um, it's hard not to sort of compare brothers and you see how important a player Charlie Cameron's become and started off in a similar similar sort of role and that Jared is and the way he's developing to a really key player for them is hugely exciting. I'm, I'm amazed for a guy in his first season how strong he is tackling. I saw him take Nathan Jones down on the weekend. He must have been giving away that 20 kilos to him and had no trouble at all. So he's a really exciting talent and knows where the goals are. And that's always a, a skill that's hard to teach for anyone. So I'm happy to lock him away because if he keeps his current trajectory, then I'm sure when the next contract's up, the, the price might be a lot higher and we'll be getting a fair bit of competition from some other clubs. Miguel, we've gone from Mitch Brown in the forward pocket in a final to now having Cameron, Ryan, Rioli, Cripps, Petrocelli. Uh, if you if you project him as a small forward still, we've got Venables to return next year as well. It's quite the group that we've built in just a matter of years. So how important is Jared Cameron's signature and what you know what does he mean to the club going forward? He seems to be a really popular kid around the club as well as his um his on-field ability, which is I'm sure it's blown everyone away how good he's played and you know, the games he's come in. He sort of came in as the last option for a forward. We were you know, running out of men and Rioli was suspended, but he's um, he's doing enough to hold his spot on merit, uh, well and truly. Uh, he's kicked uh, he'd kicked ten goals in four games before this week. Didn't get on the scoreboard, but um, yeah, his forward pressure is exceptional. As as KK said, you know, for a bloke that's probably about 65 kilos, ringing wet. He um, he tackles really hard and he seems to love tackling as well. And um, yeah, that defensive pressure inside forward 50 is really important in today's game and his ability to provide that, that you know, his age and, and build um, is fantastic as well as his you know, his ability to get on uh, get on the scoreboard. So yeah, he's, uh, he's going to be a really good player for us for um, a long time to come, I think, and um, a really exciting one to watch at that. Another bit of forward news, another contract signing. Jack Darling has signed a new five-year contract. Now, that was the phrase that the Eagles website used, so that makes me think that it is a brand-new contract rather than an extension. So he did have a deal that ran until the end of next year. I wonder if this new deal just supersedes that. Um, so, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of grey area as to precisely when it finishes. But at minimum, uh, by my calculation, we'll have him until he's at least 32 years old. So Jack Darling, KK, he's looking like an eagle for life, made a great impact straight away as a, as a young kid, and he's been really important in our forward line for a few years. Currently third in the Coleman, 43 goals and 13 behinds. So yeah, KK, how important is Jack Darling going to be to the club going forward? I think both parties are probably pretty pleased to get it locked away. I think we talked on one of the last pods I was about um, there were rumours about the Bulldogs at that stage and I sort of said that I think at his stage of his career and his life with a young family, he would take the security as one of the most important things and to know that he's going to be a one-club player, he's probably signed the last contract he's he's going to have, I think would be a lot of comfort to him and I, I think it played out on, on the weekend that with Jack it's always been about the mental side, he's always had the talent, his form has sort of gone up and down with I think how he how he's feeling, and he played on the weekend like a guy who 
had very few things to worry about. So I think if we can get that for the next five years, then that'll be great. And I'm hoping his form body holds that he might be our first 300-game player. I reckon he'd be fairly on track for that without doing the maths. I think he'll be second because I think Hearn will be our first, but yeah. It's a hot take. It's a hot take. <laughs> I like that. No, I love the sound of that. Uh, Miguel, yeah, just back on to Jack Darling very quickly. He's currently fifth on the club goals list. Uh, he's kicking, you know, a good 40 to 50 goals per game. He obviously missed a chunk of time last year. Wow, per game, excuse me, per season. Uh, he missed a, a big chunk of time last year, but he was shaping for a career year. He now looks on track to beat his best goal tally this year. Uh, he's averaged four goals per game over the last month, so he's in absolutely cracking form, and yet he's still sort of going under the radar. Number one, can Jack Darling make All-Australian this year? Number two, where do you think he finishes up on our club goals list by the time he hangs up the boots? Uh, I'll deal with number two first. I haven't really looked at the numbers, but he can probably go past Sumich, I assume, um, into second. Whether he can catch Kennedy, he's sort of... He's had the advantage and disadvantage, I suppose, um, for a lot of his career of playing second fiddle to, to Kennedy. So be giving up a lot of a lot of ground to him. But yeah, if he can continue on, I don't know. Maybe he can catch. Uh, maybe he can catch Kennedy. And can he make the All Australian team this year? Um, basically, they seem to select the forwards as you know the the highest goal kicking forward is at full forward, and the second highest is at centre half forward. So. If he can get himself up into the top two, then maybe. Yeah, who's it? Big Cameron and Brown that he's chasing. Um, so, yeah, he'd, uh, I suppose he'd be a chance. Yeah, so we might have yet another All-Australian this year. Excellent news on the contract front. Some not-so-good news on the injury front. Obviously, we've touched on Shannon Hearn already, and Jeremy McGovern uh, had yet another game where he came off sore, a bit proppy. That's the big question going into this week's game, or at least one of them, is will Jeremy McGovern get up for the game? So let's dive into the injuries now. As I said, we've got McGovern with a test uh, with his ankle. Uh, Shannon Hearn is also a test with the calf. Now, the other big injuries, Cripps is two to three weeks, Duggan two to three weeks, and Hutchings one week with the hamstring. So there's a couple of injury clouds over some key players. KK, are you expecting any of these guys to get up? Let's start with, I suppose, Hearn and McGovern. And other than that, you know, are you expecting that we'll maybe see Hutchings and a couple of these small defenders back in the next couple of weeks? I think our club tends to take a pretty conservative line on um, on weeks. So if they say they're back in two or three, then, yeah, I think they'll be back in two or three. McGovern, I suspect, will get up. He always seems to be more injured than he is. Uh, Hearn's probably a dicey one just because it's a muscle thing. They might not want to want to risk making that any worse. So if I had to pick out the two, I'd say McGovern gets up. Hearn, yeah, probably misses a week. And then it's pleasing that we'll have sure, the rest of the guys, except Nui back before the end of the regular season so they can get a game or two in before finals. It's pleasing that I think Duggan and... And Cripps, they said, are both tracking ahead of where they originally scheduled. So that's that's a good sign. And, yeah, just cross fingers, nothing worse comes out of it. it it's nice that we've, even though we're not at full strength now, by the end of round 23, we should be at or very near it, barring any future injuries. And that's a, that's a great spot to be in. So just quickly rounding out the injury list, we've got uh, Archie is a test, Bynes, test. 
Harry Edwards, he's one week with the foot, so a nice quick recovery from him uh, on that stress fracture on the foot. Uh, Nat Nui, indefinite, that's obviously the big story, but truthfully, there's not a lot for us to unpack there. We'll just have to wait to see what comes out publicly. O'Neill, test, nice of the club to acknowledge that he exists this week. Vardy, uh-huh. Vardy, a test. Josh Smith, unfortunately, five to seven weeks with the hamstring. He was in some really nice form with the Beagles, so that is a real shame. And then lastly, uh, this happened since we last record, Dan Venables. Uh, Lyme ruled through him for the season with the concussion. It's something, Miguel, that I think was you know on the horizon and perhaps we thought it was trending that way, but what do we make of the fact that they've just ruled out Venables now and, and is it the sort of thing where 2020 has to start for him in the next couple of weeks? Obviously, um, depends on what his um, what his health's like at the moment. I, I think it's good to just sort of park him for the year and you know, get him to aim for round one next year. It's obviously a really nasty concussion, and the sort of the guys that have been in that the other guys that have been in that situation, like um, you know, Paddy McCartan's the obvious one. You know, it's it's been multiple concussions, whereas for Venables, I don't think he'd had one before. So for his first concussion to be this serious is really worrying. And yeah, hopefully he um, he can come back for round one next year. With the injury list looking how it is, though, it must be said, the Beagles are shaping up to get a bit of an influx of talent coming back into the side. They've been doing pretty well in the absence of a fair few of these players. Uh, they've won four consecutive games. Uh, and yet... This week, they have a really big test. They take on Subiaco. It's being played at Leaderville Oval, 11.40am, and you can watch it live on 7, so a good opportunity to get around the Beagles ahead of the Eagles game this week. Subiaco, top of the ladder, 12 wins, 1 loss. They have won 7 consecutive games. Uh, Miguel, an avid waffle watcher like yourself, what do we make of this Subiaco outfit, and is it something where you think a pretty talented and a pretty informed Beagle side, you know, are they a real chance to give Subi a bit of a scare this week? Yeah, it's going to be a real test, um, and it's we're in a situation at the moment where we're in a real logjam. The Beagles are in a real logjam of teams trying to get that sort of fifth spot on the ladder, uh, and we actually dropped from fifth to seventh, having had the bye last week. I think the, both teams around us won, uh, West Perth and uh, the other one. You can just edit out me forgetting who it is. Um, I think it was Peel. Was it? Was it Peel? <laughs> yeah, Peel. You're right. Yeah. So they both went past us, and so um, really important to get a win. But yeah, against Subiaco is going to be difficult. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, we get quite a few of those guys back. I think I was sort of trying to work out who would have played Waffle for us this week if we hadn't had the bye, and uh, if we hadn't taken three of our four emergencies over to Alice Springs and. We would have been missing, I think, we would have only had about 12 guys um, available to play off the list, off the AFL list, which is about as low as we've ever been. Um, so we would have been relying pretty heavily on the top-ups, and we also wouldn't have uh, Brady Gray because he's, I assume, accepted the suspension for um, knocking Connor West into next month. So, yeah, we would have had a really weak team last week, on paper at least, so it was good to have that week off, and, yeah, hopefully we get... You know, possibly guys like Edwards and um, Vardy and some of those guys back into the side to, to bolster it because, yeah, Subiaco is going to be a really big test. So we'll move into the main event for the week. Round 19, it does approach. Uh, but, gents, there's a little bit of sadness this week. It approaches, you know, 
bit, bit, bit heavy in the heart this week as we shape to take on North Melbourne. The Eagles are going to face off against the Roos, Optus Stadium, Saturday, 2.35pm. But for me, personally, it's really not going to be the same, I don't think, this week. Uh, of course, North Melbourne have parted ways with... Brad Scott, ahead of this game, uh, a few weeks ago they obviously made the change. It's the first time we've met the Ruse since he has not been with them. Now, sadly, KK, Brad Scott is no more, therefore Brad Scott Week is no more. It was a tradition that was very near and dear to my heart. I bloody loved it. It started with some funny avatars and it really exploded from there. We've broken North Melbourne and we've broken Brad Scott's heart several times, so... Let's just, you know, share some memories. I think it's time we'll have a bit of a funeral for Brad Scott week. What's your favourite Brad Scott memory as we shape to take on the Roos this week? Favourite Brad Scott memory? Uh, I tried to get him confused with Chris Scott, which is the one who said he wouldn't take his kids to Subiaco. That was Chris. Wasn't that was that? Chris, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll go with the, the Natanui mark and goal after the siren. I think um, that must have brought him to tears. I reckon that's probably my favourite uh, Favourite North with Brad Scott memory. Yeah, he uh, has a fair few quite iconic reactions to things, but him standing up and just the general anger. I think it was a Sel- Adam Selwood high free kick that set him off at first, and then Nat Nui rises from the pack and takes the mark, and Brad Scott's out of his chair. It was a bloody good night at the football. Miguel, any memories in particular stand out on this farewell to Brad Scott week? No, that was the one for me as well. The, the rest of them sort of all merge into each other. Um, yeah, if this was a visual medium as opposed to just an audio one, then I'd expect you to sort of put together a montage of his best reactions and maybe play it in slow motion and play like a Sarah McLaughlin song or something with some sepia background. Okay, hold up, uh, hold over up. the top and hold up, stop. You've okay. You haven't seen this. This podcast will go out hopefully by the time the game preview thread has gone up. That exact video has been prepared and it is sitting oh, on YouTube. God. It is it is ready to go. It is live. It's not Sarah McLaughlin. It is uh, oh, what's it? It's Sarah Berets. Is that her name? It's that Gravity song from Community. It's in black and white. There are slow mo Brad Scott reactions. There's some audio clips. It's a whole bloody AV masterpiece. Not to toot my own oh. horn, but jump on Big Footy if you want to see some Brad Scott content this week. Uh, a couple other quick shout outs. The two finals that we beat them in, obviously a prelim was great. 96-point win in an elimination final, also great. But, yeah, far out. Vale Brad Scott week, guys. Let's all just quick a quick toast to Brad Scott and all that he's done for the West Coast Eagles. Oh, and my other, the other, my other memory of him, and it's not related to the Eagles, but I just thought it was hilarious that you know, he complained so much about the roof at Docklands being open. And the week after, he, um, he and North Melbourne had their conscious uncoupling they announced, the AFL announced that the roof was going to be closed for the rest of the season. I just thought that was hilarious. Shout out to the AFL. Uh, you, you stole my bit. I was going to say, your video, don't close the curtain at the end, have the closing of the roof. <laughs> my, um, my animation skills are not good enough to manually close a roof, and I don't know where I'd find footage of the Eddie Had roof being closed. But I will say the video does open with a quote from him complaining about the roof being closed. So we're all on the same page. We're all going to miss you, Brad. Uh, thanks very much for the memories. But, yes, there is obviously another important story this week, which is the actual game. So let's move on to that. North have found you know a fair bit of form under Reece Shaw since he's taken over from the great Brad Scott. They had a brutally unlucky, uh, unlucky loss last week, both with a, you know, a late bad free kick and a, and a couple of other frustrations in that fourth quarter. So, KK, the Roos this week, it's never an easy prospect. They're always pretty fiery, contested team. They've got a couple of guys in there that don't mind mixing it up. 
What are you expecting to see out of them this Saturday? I'm kind of hoping they might be a bit demoralised after the loss and having to travel two weeks in a row. I actually watched the whole of that game on Saturday. It was a really good game against Brisbane. They they were unlucky in the end, but balance of play, they were probably fortunate to be that close at the end. Brisbane, though Brisbane are a very good side. North are dangerous. As you say, they've, they've got a couple of guys in, particularly Cunnington and Zeewell, that really like to throw their weight around in the middle. They've got uh, Brown up front. They've got a solid defence, um, led by Robbie Tarrant. Goldstein's going to be an issue for us in the ruck, although I thought Hickey and Allen were pretty good against Gorn last week. And I think yeah, I think they'll be tough, but I think we should be able to grind them down. The, the one thing I did sort of take out of the game is that they, they don't bat that deep. They, they do still rely on a few players, and if we can shut them down, and it might be someone going head-to-head with Cunnington or we we throw the Nelson card on there if required. But I think if we can, if we can shut down Cunnington, Zeeble and um, Simkin in the middle and quell Goldstein's influence, then I think we'll have enough in the other areas of the ground. And hopefully our defence, um, Barras and McGovern, find some form against Brown because they were pretty awful on the weekend. So I think with no Thompson, I think our forwards, and especially in the form that they're in, and obviously they're all individually very dangerous, I think our forwards could stretch north this week. Miguel, for me, I think that midfield battle is going to be telling, as it often is with our games. So let's look at that Goldstein matchup first, and then we'll move along to Cunnington as well. So with Goldstein, obviously we saw Hickey and Allen go up against Gorn and Proust last week, and I think they did a pretty good job. I think Hickey was no worse than even with gone on the day, which is certainly more than I was expecting going in. Is it the sort of thing where you think we might roll those two out again and take a similar approach, or do you think there's room to bring in a second dedicated Ruckman, perhaps a, a Brooksby or, or a Williams? I think if they were going to do that, if, if they weren't going to do that against Gorn and Proust, then they're probably not going to do it against any Ruck combination. Um, I was really surprised that, well, firstly, that Brooksby wasn't in the team, um, and then that when they, they took Bailey Williams over, for the game and then they didn't debut him and um, and did chuck out Oscar Allen in the ruck. Um, but it did seem to work well. Uh, Hickey, he really did sort of quell Gorn's influence and um, you know, the midfield was able to break even almost with Melbourne in, in clearances and contested possessions. So, yeah, I think they'll, um, they'll uh, go with that approach again against North Melbourne. Yeah, hopefully they can, uh, Hickey can sort of make Goldstein work pretty hard around the ground because he's getting on a bit and, yeah, if he's going one out, then... Uh, yeah, he might be gettable. But yeah, I, I, I think they'll go with that combination again. KK, you mentioned Cunnington. He's obviously in great form. He's starting to get a bit of media presence around him as well. Uh, you know, obviously the media are a little bit slow on the uptake sometimes, but he's fifth in the coaches' votes. He's having a great 2019. You suggested maybe we could tag him, or, and there's always the option of sending somebody like Yo and just going head to head. So, how, how do you approach that matchup in the middle this week? I think, as Miguel alluded to earlier, playing. A dedicated tag, it does sort of throw our midfield mix out a bit. So I'd be inclined to just go head to head. It might be a match for probably Redden's a good a good match up with him head to head. Yo's probably more suited to to Zeeble when he goes in the middle, just because of the the size match up. So I'd probably yeah head to head with either Shuey or um, or Redden and just back our guys in. I, I think we look much better when we have ball winners in the middle and and use the hard tag as a 
not made an emergency or a plan B if required. Miguel, Ben Brown, you touched on earlier, is one of the two guys ahead of Jack Darling on the Coleman. He's kicked 46 goals for the year. Uh, he still has a comically hilarious run-up that I think actually should circumvent the rules. I think they need to change the rules for guys like Ben Brown and his ridiculous 70-metre walk-in approach. But fair play to him. It works. He kicks a lot of goals. Obviously a danger this week for our backs. So uh, this might even lead into your changes. But how do you think we combat Ben Brown uh, with our defence sort of in the down form, especially our key back, sort of in a bit of down form at the moment. So what do you think we do with that Brown matchup? It's a good question. And yeah, um, it'd almost be worth looking at bringing Schofield in um, to play on him, you know, specialist to play on him. He um, Schofield shut him down in the game in Hobart last year and was, I think from memory, about the only one of the 22 out there to have won his position in that game. And North do have a really tall forward line uh, as well. So, yeah, Barras, the other obvious player to play on, um, Brown, but they've got uh, Mason Wood and Larky, who's in some really good form as well down there. And um, Zerha's quite big, so I didn't have Schofield in my changes, but that'd certainly be worth considering. I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll just sort of... Guys like Shepard and Hearn have played big on occasion in the past and might need to do it again. But, yeah... The key for Brown will be to cut off supply, so you know, limit the amount of inside 50s they get will be the number one aim to, to stop him scoring, is to stop him getting the ball. And then, yeah, and I think aim number two will be McGovern helping Barass out and forcing a two-on-one when they do kick it to him. So let's take that and we'll lead it into changes. KK, we'll start with you. Uh, North do have a bit of a land of the giants approach. Uh, up forward, similar to the Eagles in that capacity. A lot of guys up above the 195-ish centimetre mark. So with that, is there room to bring Schofield in? Or if you're expecting Hearn to get up, who, do, who makes way to bring Hearn in? These sorts of decisions. Who do you think comes in and out this Saturday? I'm probably not going to go any taller in the back line. I think obviously Hearn, if he's fit, comes in. I think I would have Cole coming out and retaining, retaining Watson. Cole's form hasn't been great all all year and he, he wasn't particularly great on the weekend either. I think I think Watson probably shaded him on the day and deserves to have a have another chance. So that's probably one change in the in the back line. I really don't see any other changes being made unless uh if, if McGovern gets up then he's in. If he's not then Schofield's a direct replacement. And in the other areas of the ground I don't really see any need for any changes all, all the midfield were there's no one there really screaming out to, to be replaced in the forward line waterman just come back in i'd like to see him get a run of games it's more than just one even though he, he wasn't didn't have much of an impact on the weekend and yeah i think our our seven eight seven back mid forward mix is pretty pretty solid so i'd keep the, the changes to a minimum and really just base it on the injury clouds on McGovern and Hearn. So for myself, assuming Hearn and Gov both get up and are clear to play, uh, I will have Gov coming in, excuse me, Hearn coming in for Cole. I'm a big fan of Tom Cole. He's obviously been down a little bit this year, but yes, KK, agreeing with you, Watson I thought was better. Nelson's been pretty good and obviously now has a couple of different options. So Simo, I can see retaining him. Uh, I think it's probably time that Cole sits out and uh, yeah, really forces his way back in like we did see when he was initially dropped a few weeks ago. Uh, now, a second change. I promised I would never do this again, and yet here we are. Matt Allen, I am asking for him to come in for Jake Waterman. 
I am letting myself get my hopes up yet again. Now, look, it's it's not really uh, fair, I suppose, on, on Waterman because I did want him in last week off the back of six waffle goals, but he just looks lost out there. He's yet to really put his stamp on a game outside of that one uh, fantastic patch of play uh, a few rounds ago. But yeah, look, it's tough and I don't agree with bringing guys in for a week and then just dropping them. So I am contradicting myself with this change and yet I just think that the Waterman as a sort of fourth tall slash link up forward, it doesn't really pay outwardly obvious dividends to me. So I think it's a change that I can see the club exploring. Uh, Miguel, where do you sit on that and, and where do you sit with your changes this week? Uh, I echo the Hearn one. Uh, if Gov uh, Schofield for Gov, if um, if Gov's unavailable, mm-hmm. um, if Hearn's unavailable, I would look at bringing in Schofield or maybe Rotham for Cole and going that little bit taller in defence just to combat that uh, combat the the tall north forward line that we talked about earlier. But I could see if they just went no change in the back line if Hearn's unavailable and um, and gave Cole another week to um, to come good. Uh, yeah, Waterman's the ob- obvious other uh, one who would be in the gun. I would like to see Matty Allen play. Um, I've been tweeting some some of his stats about, yeah, between you and me, we've done a fair bit of, we've put in the hours in getting the stats up. Um, but yeah, Matty Allen, he's had the longest wait of any eagle now. Um, he's gone past Zach Beak. He's been an emergency 14 times by my <laughs> count, which is, um, no, so he's really been made to work for his debut. So I would like to get him in there, but yeah, I'm not a fan of dropping you know, dropping a player after one week. And, yeah, I can see what they're trying to do with, with his position there and, yeah, maybe give him another week. Archie, if he's fit, would be the other possibility. That's sort of similar to the role that I think he came in and played um, in the derby before mm-hmm. he got injured in his one game for the year. So he would, if they did want to drop Waterman, I think Archie would be the best sort of like-for-like replacement. But, yeah, we'd like to see Matty Allen get a game. Okay, predictions. The Eagles needing to win. We're obviously right there in that second, third place race. Collingwood and Richmond play off, and they're just hot on the heels of, of this pack as well. So crucial win, crucial game. There's not really much room for error for the rest of the season. KK, are you expecting the Eagles to do the job this weekend? If so, how much are they going to win by, and who do you think is going to be the best Eagle afield? I think we will get the job done this weekend. Uh, I think it'll be comfortable enough in the end so I will go with uh, 32 points that sounds quite nice best on ground I think I think Gaff I think North are a bit of um, North are quite strong inside probably not as great on the outside and I think you'll have a bit of free reign to to get around and carve them up Miguel your thoughts uh, I think um I think we'll win. I think the fact that North have had a really um, tough travel schedule in the last couple of weeks, they you know, coming back from Brisbane and then coming over to Perth, uh, will count against them. And we'll just continue banking the wins ahead of finals. Um, these are the, the sort of games that you know, we really need to, to tick off and win if we if we still want to be in the hunt for a top two spot. So, yeah, I've picked us to win. I've said 27 points. And my backup pick for the um, best on ground was Gaff. So I think Kai's did that to me last week and um, KK's done it this week. I've, I've put uh, Gaff to show the ruse what they missed out on. When oh, he I forgot about that down. whole storyline. That's a whole <laughs> bloody thing that we haven't explored. 
Oh, oh well. God, we, we've got to do another half an hour. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and uh, so my first pick was uh, Tom Barras for best on ground to shut down Brown, which probably goes against everything I said earlier about it having to be a real team effort. But yeah, Barras to be best on ground. Do you know the best thing about predicting two exactly opposite outcomes is you're very, very likely to get something right. Uh, <laughs> so for me, yes, the Eagles will win. Uh, I think they'll win by about 30 points. North Melbourne in solid form, like I said, since the coach swap, but... They, uh, surprisingly, for a club that I always think of as, as quite scrappy, contested ball use, this sort of thing, they're ranked 18th in tackles amongst all teams. They are dead last. So give me Elliot Yo to continue on his great fourth quarter form from last week and just bull his way through their midfield. I haven't had the pleasure of watching too many North Melbourne games this year to know how hard they tag, but Shuey was quiet last week. Yo was quiet until the fourth, so... I think if uh, they throw the tag on either of those guys, the other one could really flourish. So I'm picking Yo. Let's go with Yoey for the win this week. All right, question time. We have a question from 06 Premiers, uh, and it relates to mid-season trading. KK, we'll start with you on this one, and then Miguel, I'll throw to you. So the mid-season trading, it's potentially coming in next season. Uh, Do you think there will be a significant impact from that? You think it's something clubs will take up quite significantly? And if they do, is it the sort of thing, KK, where you think maybe we'll see a two-tiered system like you see in soccer, you see a little bit in the NBA as well, where there's a a big gulf between the top-tier teams and then the lower teams when it comes to those trade week approaches? Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I I don't think that we'd be a club that would benefit from it anyway probably similar to free agency. It's going to be a tough sell to, to get players to up sticks and move to move to Perth in the middle of the season, even if we are the flag chance. Uh, I think you would see a situation where good players, maybe later in their careers, are going to be looking for moves to teams that are up the top of the table. And the teams down the bottom are going to be losing players and trading away the immediate future for a load of draft picks and I don't think that's going to be a good outcome. It's just going to make them worse in the current season and it's going to make the the good team stronger. I, I just fundamentally don't like the idea of players moving clubs during the season in any league, but particularly AFL where there's a lot, that sort of notion of club loyalty is still a bit more ingrained than it is in a lot of other sports and yeah, I, I don't like teams just cherry-picking for that missing piece in the middle of the season. Sort your list out and between the seasons and, and go with it. And I think it's really hard on the players as well. We're not a sort of NBA or Premier League situation where the players are so well so well paid that um, they, they can they can move around at, at short notice. They probably don't have families and partners that are required to work, whereas AFL players, a lot of them aren't really that well paid when you consider how short their career is. Expecting them to just up sticks in the middle of a, a scene with a week's notice is, yeah, really unfair for the amount of remuneration they get. Yeah, that's an interesting point about it. And it's obviously when it comes to any sort of trades, even in the off-season, I think all the players have to sign off on it, which is a little different to how it works in the US. Just as an avid NBA fan, the trade deadline there you see you know, two two schools of thought and they obviously interlock. You've got the top teams that try and raid good talent from the bottom teams uh, because obviously you've got veterans that don't want to have their season or career fizzle out, wasting away, losing all their games. They want to go and chase after a ring. 
Uh, so you see that happen a lot. And then similarly, you've got the bottom teams that, like you said, KK, they just want to punt this year, load up on future assets. And it results in sometimes you've got two months of a season where if you happen to play a bad team at the back end of a season as opposed to the front end, it can make your fixture look very different. It can certainly make games quite boring when you've got teams effectively choosing to tank from the deadline and beyond. Uh, Miguel, where do you sit with mid-season trading as it applies to the AFL? Yeah, basically what both you guys have said, I, I think it would just be open to abuse and we already saw that with the, the mid-season rookie draft where um, you know, the idea was that teams could you know, use it to fill a hole on their list and you know, if, if teams had you know, lost two or three ruckmen during the season, they could go out and you know, draft a state league ruckman to, to come in and play for them and basically that hasn't happened and teams have just gone out and got the best sort of you know, 19-year-olds and and you know, Richmond drafted Marlon Pickett, who won't even be available to play for them this year, and basically just giving them an extra crack at the at the rookie draft from last year. So, my point there is that you know teams will just find ways to uh, to use and abuse the system. Um, they've done it with the rookie draft, and I, I think they do it with a trading period. And um, you guys have probably already identified the way that they would do that. You know, the, the mid season draft period would be brought in with the intention of the same intention of you know teams either you know, teams filling holes on their list or players who aren't getting opportunities getting moved mid-season to find opportunities at other clubs but you know what would happen is yeah good players leaving poor teams to join join good teams to play finals it would just result in more disparity so yeah I wouldn't be a favor, wouldn't be in favor of it are you telling me that clubs are using an AFL system not in the way the AFL intended um, <laughs> I'm shocked your mind, sitting. your mind is blown, isn't it? Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable that anybody would do that. And also, just my final shout-out, because I've been giving them all out throughout the pod. Big shout-out to Eddie Maguire's media company taking over the score review system for finals, just while we're talking about hastily implemented AFL systems. Uh, are you guys across this? Have you heard this one? Okay. Yeah, so his media company yeah. has a partnership with RMIT, which is where they're trying to base and establish this hastily assembled score bunker that they desperately need to have in place by finals this year because yeah nothing says professionalism like shifting the goalposts halfway through a season anyway uh yeah that'll that's that for my afl soapbox for the week Alrighty, that will do it from us for this week. Uh, it is a big week in the landscape of Eagles footy. It always is. We're coming to the pointy end of the season. And as I mentioned, we can't afford any slip-ups, but the three of us have predicted that no, this will not be the week for a slip-up as we take on North Melbourne. KK, thanks very much for your predictions. Thanks very much for your analysis. And thanks for coming on the podcast. No problem. It's uh, really getting to the exciting pointy end of the season. Can't wait. Miguel, as always, it's been a pleasure having you on the pod. Thanks very much for coming on. Yeah, no worries. It's yeah, definitely the exciting point of the season, and my dog has got really excited as well. Um, I don't know if you can hear that in the background. Yeah, it's uh, looking forward to this game. We've all sort of predicted a pretty similar margin, so um, it'll probably be either um, there'll be either a goal in it, or we'll lose, or it'll be an absolute blowout. <laughs> it'll be any of those results. So stay tuned for that one. All right. Well, thanks as always for listening. If you do have any questions, feel free to shoot them through to any of us or to chuck them in the thread on Big Footy. As I teased a little bit earlier, keep a, keep an eye out for a bit of AV content from me this week as I'm posting the Vale Brad Scott Week video. And uh, one more one more cheers, one more hats off, and in memoriam to Brad Scott. Thanks for the memories, mate. All right, guys. Thanks very much for listening, and we will speak to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
yeah. I'm disappointed that I couldn't get in the um, – you can use statistics to prove everything. 40% of all people know that line. I'll chuck that in at the end. There you go. That's our, <laughs> that's our post-credits. That's our Terrible Marvel post-credits thing. thing. 